everyone, welcome back to the 443 Security Simplified. I'm your host, Mark the Liberty, and joining me today is... Corey, I'm just guessing, not Reiner. I'm no <laughs> Nostradamus, that's for sure. I'm just guessing. You still said it, so it still counts. Uh, as <laughs> you were expecting me at... to do some sort of Nostradamus in my intro, right? Because you do, <laughs> every year. So <laughs> it had to be in there. Tea leaves, uh, crystal ball, how many more prediction-like themes can I come up with in the intro? So that's know. the, I'm just guessing. Okay, I, that one is kind of clever. I approve that one. And you know, I would have accepted it even more if you had said, said Nostradamus. Nostradamus immediately after it. I felt like it as had Corey's, to be explained out of context. As Corey's hinting at, uh, on this episode, we will be revisiting our 2023 security predictions and grading ourselves on how well we did. Because what I hope be better way to get accurate grades than grade yourself? You know what? I'm still going to print it out and put it on my fridge. <laughs> With that, uh, let's go ahead and... Oh, man. I don't even have a good one. Let's just get rolling. Red pen our way in? There we go. I like it. I, I, I might post it on my fridge after I get out my foraging pen and micro my magnifying glass so I can alter our grade a little before my mom sees it. I never even tried that. I didn't either, but... <laughs> so it is that time of year, Corey. Uh, Prediction season! Exactly. And while we'll have a podcast here soon, maybe next week, probably pretty soon after anyways, about next year's cybersecurity predictions. On this episode, it is time to go through our annual review, uh, grading ourselves how well we did on last year's cybersecurity predictions. Is it worth quickly giving the spiel on why we do predictions? Because I think they can be both worthless and a decent exercise. Like, uh, yeah, go for it. And, uh, as everyone knows, at the end of the year, if you're in any sort of media or marketing, there's all whatever industry you're in, some pundit makes predictions for what's going to happen next year. So in cybersecurity, obviously, we're trying to predict whether it's security-related regulation, security-related policy, or what threat actors are going to do. Uh, we make predictions. And I tongue in cheek say they're kind of worthless. Like if you've been in a industry for decades, <laughs> you see these predictions pop every year and they're just kind of like a marketing exercise. And I will admit that that's certainly part of why you do predictions. But I, I also do think they're a fun way, at least me and Mark find them fun, of extrapolating what could happen if we don't fix things and get our heads out of our butt as far as cybersecurity and privacy. So we know it's kind of like no one can predict anything. When we're making predictions, we're actually not trying to become Nostradamus and hit things. But for us, I think it's an excuse to talk about trends. All of the predictions we talk about are like trends in our industry, whether it's AI, whether it's self-driving cars, whether it's, it, it, you know, whatever the topic is. And what we're just trying to do is talk about the trends, think about what happened last year and kind of extrapolate if, if things continue down this line, what could happen. And it's mostly so we can talk about how we can, one, make the prediction not happen in the first place and defend ourselves if attackers or, or things change in the way we predict. So that's kind of why we do them. They are a fun exercise. Uh, we try not to use, like everyone has a different prediction style. Some people go for very general 
generative AI will be targeted in 2024. And I can tell you right now that prediction is going to hit. That's like too general. So that's boring to us. So we try to take a subject like generative AI and make very specific, more specific things so that it's not super easy uh, for it to hit for sure. And maybe there's some nuance in the specificity that we can learn from. But that also means that our predictions don't always hit. Uh, I'll also say some of the most dystopian predictions we've made five years ago didn't hit during the year we made them, but have since come true. So whether the predictions hit or not, that's just kind of a fun thing for us. It's more to talk about the trends that we saw throughout the year and the trends that are continuing forward. And this isn't our 2024 prediction episode. So instead of talking about what's coming, we're going to be seeing how well we talked about this year it was what we expected in 2022 that it actually happened this year. Yep. So we'll go through, we had six predictions from the last year and we will grade each of them with either a hit, a fail, or a meh, uh, rated at one point, zero points and half a point respectively. Uh, I, and will I say assume if there's boomers out there, uh, hopefully you can intuit what uh, win and fail means and meh just means it kind of falls in the middle. We can't get enough evidence to make it a solid win. Yep. And I know historically, we tend to fall just above 50% or so and call that a passing grade. So my hope is we'll end somewhere around there again this year. Uh, with let's see the what happens. We made last year. And with that, let's go ahead and roll in. And Corey, you mentioned something about not having two uh, generalized predi predictions. Well, this first one's a little bit of a generalized one. I would say it's general, but there's a specific part. The reason like this could have easily been a win if we made it more general. There's one part of this prediction that does make it specific enough that it's hard to grade, but let's get into that. So the title of the prediction was insurers verticalize their already increased cybersecurity requirements. And it was a bit of a two for in this one where we predicted both that certain verticals that are highly targeted or at least more vulnerable to massive cyber attacks, think like healthcare or managed service Manufacturing, providers. Manufacturing, finance, financial yeah. companies, actual security vendors that protect other companies. We predicted that they would have increased premium costs for cyber insurance due to the and requirements. risk and requirements. Yeah. The second kind of tangential part of this though was also Cyber, cyber insurance providers uh, coming up with a list of mandated vendors for different yeah, yeah. security services that you could purchase. So I would say part of it, the part of the prediction too, is also just the general increase in price and and compliance. So uh, while that was that to me is the general part, like cyber insurance is changing. It's getting more pricey and harder to get and requiring more hoops to jump through. But the main part of this prediction to me was vendor specific not only is that true but some vendors will have it some industry verticals will have it worse than others because they have a higher impact to the rest of the economy and what did you grade this one as Corey? i i kind of grade it as a meh i feel like it's generally true i feel like even the verticalized part even the some you know, MSP, security vendors, healthcare, finance being even more targeted by the increase in price and the increase in compliance necessities is is very true. And you can find anecdotal evidence and anecdotal stories from verticals that this is true. 
Uh, so, but I said it was meh because I never really, there was, it wasn't like the insurers suddenly said, oh, we will have different requirements if you're in healthcare. I, I couldn't find anything showing specific comment from the insurance industry on verticalization, even though I believe it's happening behind the scenes. So I, give it uh, a... I, I do have a lot of data, which we can talk about just to generally, I think we should generally talk about how cyber insurance is changing because that is happening and did happen in 2023, but I and could gonna, only I, med this. <laughs> I gave us a little more credit. I gave us a met and a half, uh, if we're going to mm -hmm. add that to the grading scale as well, too, because it feels like we came as close as possible without actually having the definitive evidence that yes, this is occurring per our prediction. This is the kind of thing where my gut is our prediction and everything we said about the industry is right. I just couldn't find like a story or, or a kicker just to say it. I will say, I mean, one thing I did want to say, Mark, is some of the things we're talking about are true. I mean, you might remember the other reason we make this prediction is I had strong feelings that the insurers were actually driving the problem by paying ransomware. And many other people said that, like uh, looking at companies that actually watch cyber insurance and watch trends in insurance. Uh, apparently, the loss ratios for insurance were consistently above 60 percent which is that that was the existential threat to cyber insurers. Like if they're losing up to 60, above 60%, that means they they made mistakes in, in what they were doing. Obviously the mistake was paying ransomware, you guys. And that's why they did the huge knee-jerk reaction where premiums have risen by over 94% from 2019 to 2022 and continuing in 2023. So the premiums have blown up and, uh, you know, the tons of people, you know, the policies, people are not getting insurance now because they're not meeting bare minimum standards for any vertical almost. It's also gotten to the point where too, I, I'm thinking is cyber insurance even a viable strategy anymore? Because uh, now that these premiums have increased, the other thing that happened is cyber insurers are making new clauses, new exit clauses. Like uh, one of the most costly attacks for cyber insurance was when Merrick, Merrick, Merrick the big shipping container company. Merck, or no, Merrick, M-E-R-C-K, Merrick. So maybe I, I, I not Merck, but Merrick. Uh, Modelez too, they had like a 1.4 billion and 100 million settlement be based on Russia, not Petya. So they got it and they got big, they had to go to court to get it against their own insurers, but they got those payments. And that's causing lots of insurers to put like, we're not going to insure you if it's a state actor or if it's a war. And by the way, that's causing a lot of things on how do you define a state actor? And then others are fighting back. Well, it, it might be a state actor, but this wasn't an act of war. This was a normal private. So long story short, these huge payments are, are changing. Insurers are paying out less. They're dropping the amount of coverage. So it might have been easy to get 10 million of coverage before. Now it's only going to be 5 million. They're making it harder to get. And then they have all these exit clauses of even though you have the coverage, here's 20 different ways. Uh, we're not going to cover you uh, if, if a breach happens in this way. And it, it turns out that at least in the UK, only 1% of insurers are actually using their premium. So the new question is, is cybersecurity insurance even worth it? <laughs> because it's not paying out, it costs too much, and they're trying to find ways not to pay you if an attack happens. So 
I think everything we talked about for how the cyber insurance agents has changed, it was just hard to find the verticalization evidence. And there, I have seen some anecdotal evidence as well for the approval approved lists of service providers too. Like in talking with some yeah. of our partners, they've been talking, uh, telling me some of their insurance providers have a list of approved like EDR tools, for an example. Uh, we've seen some partnerships between cyber insurance providers and IT service providers where, for example, let's say if you're using Kaseya VSA, then you're fast tracked to approval through their partner cyber insurance provider. So there are like little pieces of this coming together. But I think, like you said at the start, there wasn't a definitive like uh, this is absolutely the new requirement now and the bigger requirements for MSPs and healthcare versus random whatever place. So I think meh is a pretty fair grading for this one. But I do think that the takeaway for this is who cares about the prediction? Cyber insurance has changed. Uh, and it's very important for you to follow best practices. And I think one of the biggest changes is like, if you're looking at some of the compliance that they're starting, rather than just asking you for a policy, they're asking you to actually do good things. The things insurers seem to be most focused on is multi-factor authentication, especially on remote access and endpoint detection and response. Not just having uh, antivirus, but actually having instant response and technologies that can catch incidents in progress so that you have a, a instant response team handling it. So the takeaway of all this, regardless of the vertical you are in, if you do want to have cyber insurance, you don't want it to cost a ton and you want some of it, make sure you have really good MFA setups and that you're using EDR and can prove it. Uh, so I think that's kind of the takeaway from the prediction. And it's yep. going to continue in 2024, no doubt about that. So, so far a meh, meaning we are now at 50%, which is our passing grade. Moving on to the next prediction then. Uh, cybersecurity evaluation and validation becomes a top factor in selecting vendors and partners. This one was building off of what we've seen in just software supply chain attacks, targeting organizations and having a widespread impact across multiple organizations for a single component getting nailed can lead to a pretty catastrophic event. Thinking about, you know, the SolarWinds Orion breach, the Kaseya VSA breach, CC Cleaner was another one. And how uh, organizations, whether they be service providers selling and deploying tools, or even customers just buying a product directly from a reseller, are going to start considering the security of that vendor and that service provider as a major factor in the purchasing decision. Um, so the prediction was specifically around, you know, obviously price or at least value is one of, if not the most important when making a decision, as along with efficacy and meeting all your requirements. But the security and third party risk management of these service providers are using are going to be another key factor yeah. right behind those. Essentially, we're just saying that before when you're buying security stuff or buying any stuff, you, you wanted it to be inexpensive and best, the best at doing what you want. And that's still the case. But now you also have to, before you didn't really consider by, by you, I mean the universal you, didn't really consider how good are their security because it just wasn't something programmed in people to go check. Now we're saying how good they are at security might actually influence whether you buy it, not just it being cheap and good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so I think you and I might actually disagree on this one based off of notes you shared earlier, but I actually, I'm leaning more towards a hit on this scale. And I'll, I'll tell you why. Like, 
So third-party risk management as an in industry has grown substantially in just the last year. Um, so the tools that uh, vent or consumers are using in TPRM order to CPRM is security the new acronym for that. Yeah, is it's going up. But even outside of like the discussions around purchasing, we're seeing vendor validation really blow up in things like regulation from governments, uh, yeah. requirements from uh, cybersecurity provider or cybersecurity insurance providers. Basically, this year was the year of focusing on vendor security. CISA came out with the Secure by Design, Secure by Default campaign, uh, really lighting a fire under cybersecurity or just software vendors. It's, it's in more general. targeting vendors, but it's showing consumers yep. what their vendors should look like to, if they're doing we the saw right thing. The FCC kicked off a cyber labeling program uh, for IoT devices, at least with a call for uh, a request for comment on their proposal for it. I think we discussed that probably, what, four or five months ago now on the podcast and gave some of our thoughts on that, whether it'll work or not. You've got NIST 2 coming down the pipeline where they might even start requiring cybersecurity evaluations of products that you deploy if you're in a critical infrastructure sector. So while none of these like are a concrete, it occurred this year and now this is a requirement that everyone must follow, I think the tide has turned enough that I want to be generous and give us a hit on this one. But I'm curious what so you say. I, I, I'm going to I'm going to accept your argument just because I want to be predicted. Like I want to be the smart Nostradamus. I will say I, I agree with every single thing you said, but I gave it a meh. And the main reason is clearly the industry from security professionals, security vendors, and security authorities, the industry discussion this year was this. So us talking about this as a trend is a no-brainer, and it definitely happened in 2023, so it's a total win there. My, my pedantic on the prediction, though, was saying that end users, actual the people out there that are buying security products would start doing this. And uh, I don't, you know, that's the problem with the industry. The industry always talks about the right things to do but I don't know if it's trickled down to buyers actually making decisions based on that. In fact, if you consider some of the <laughs> crappy things people buy, I, I'm not convinced they make decisions based on security half the time. So that was the only reason I met it. It was because like I was hoping there might be a survey. Like I, I don't know how we could ever prove this with evidence unless someone different did, did some survey of IT administrators saying, have you turned down products because of security validation? So. Uh, there, there. I did not find any such survey, but ultimately, I agree that all the signs that this is becoming a major subfield of information security. It is becoming part of regulation, like you say, and whether consumers are doing it in 2020, did it in 2023 or not, I couldn't find evidence one way or the other. But it's clear this was a huge topic from 2023. So, if I'm a Met and you're a Win, I'm very happy to lean towards Win on this one, but. Those of you out there listening, if you haven't started making security validation part of your buying decision, pay attention to what's happening in the industry. It should be something important to you. I know it's, it's, I know it's more work. Uh, I also know like there's a reason we try to buy inexpensive things that will work because of budget and stuff like that. So the problem with this is you may not be able to get the cheapest thing sometimes if security is a factor. But uh, if you haven't started making it part of your buying decision like we predicted, uh, you might want to think about it because every organization out there is talking about this validation being important. 
Just like buying tools from Harbor Freight, spending a little bit money of money early on may cause you to spend even more money later on when a thing shatters as you're trying to fix something. I think there's some parallels to that in cybersecurity. Um, moving on to prediction number three, though. Actually, first, we're at 1.5 out of two, Corey. 75%. I mean, my uh, mom It's would put honestly that on the better than my cynical mind was feeling. So good job yeah. with that. I'm happy for you to, to find some more... Uh... In fact, uh, there's a couple I might have changed since we first talked just because of evidence you found. Yep. Well, I've got some bad news with our next prediction here then. Uh, this next prediction is the first big metaverse hack affects a business through a new productivity use case. And this one boiled around uh, the launch of Corey's favorite hobby and a business-focused VR headset from Meta, or at least a business enabled. And there's a VR few. There's a few. There's actually many business-focused headsets that go into multi-millions. But uh, this was the Quest Pro, which uh, the use case for it specifically, it was closer to consumer prices than the normal business VR AR headset. Uh, but it was clearly made for productivity use. A lot of its appeal and additional features were made for online collaboration, and even Meta themselves advertised it as a productivity uh, and creative type headset, not yep. a gaming-only one. Some of this, some of the features enabled within this, uh, within this headset allow you to like remotely access your computer, potentially doing file sharing, virtual monitors. So there's some elevated level of access to what it's ultimately designed to be used on as a corporate machine versus your private machine for like gaming. And yep. as with any emerging technology like that, there's the real risk of vulnerabilities that could enable a adversary to then compromise that work computer. So the prediction was around a big hack involving a the metaverse of in some form or another likely centered around these By the way the metaverse is just a crappy crappy media buzz term to say it would involve vr or ar applications in some yep. way thanks zuckerberg yeah uh, so actually I... it sucks because wasn't it court no who is the one of my favorite sci-fi writers uh, snow crash why can't i think of is it dr o uh, they metaverse was introduced Neil by Stephenson? a cool person, Neil Stevenson. Thank you. Neil Stevenson, he introduced, sorry. I think, metaverse the first time, and I think it it was a cool word when it was used in sci-fi. But then uh, Zuckerberg came out and called what they're doing metaverse way too early, so that's why I hate hate the term now. Agreed. Uh, so I gave this one a fail. Uh, I think there's some some research that I'll get into in a second around this one that made it interesting, at least. Uh, but there was strictly no big security incident I could find that occurred because of the metaverse. It's funny. I did too. But when you shared a few stories, I upgraded it to meh. I originally called this a fail. And I actually still think it kind of is because of two reasons. No big hack, but also the productivity part. And I guess some of the things we're going to talk to could tie to the productivity. But I think they also could tie to any VR headset too. But uh, I thought at the very least uh, for the trend of us talking about why VR, AR and metaverse stuff is changing cybersecurity, some of your examples do show that this will be a cybersecurity topic in the future, at least. So let's chat about a couple of those then. Like the first one that I wanted to chat about was something we actually talked on the podcast, which was Facebook's own uh, analysis of a vulnerability they found and resolved before it made it into production. 
talked about on the podcast probably back in September of this year, I believe, um, where Facebook's security engineers uh, found a vulnerability and then ultimately developed an entire exploit chain for this vulnerability that led them to getting code execution on a yeah, for, VR uh, headset. Note to producer, if you can show the screen. <laughs> uh, so if you remember this one, it was pretty dang interesting and thorough, the, the research they did uh, to allow them to ultimately gain that code execution. They had to go through, uh, evade different security protections within the headset. Um, and I don't know, I, I remember this one being actually pretty damn impressive at the time. Um, but this was a vulnerability within the headset itself that gains code execution on the headset itself. And I couldn't think of a obvious way to escape from the headset onto a like traditional computer. So basically, you could have a malicious app do more than it should on the headset because these are ultimately just all Android devices. Um, and the but other not thing to, to hack a company. Yeah. And, and to be also fair, like I said, since we try to just avoid general predictions, which is why we didn't just say there would be a VR vulnerability or hack, we mentioned pr it, the change in 2023 was the fact that there were some productivity VR headsets that would tie to corporate. This particular vulnerability was just part of the VR OS in all of Meta's VR headsets. So it had no productivity tied to it either. But as you can see, like Mark said, this was a very interesting vulnerability that they found on their own. It it would be a high risk way that could have offered you know a you to get in full control of the headset, and there could be a tie right, Mark. And yes, this affected the headset directly. But if you imagine this happened on the headset was the pro, and the pro had already set up the user app that allows you to connect to your corporate laptop. Gaining full access to the headset might give you ability to to leverage that connection, but I agree with you. It it was a very interesting hack that they found and fixed. Uh, proof that we're going to see more of this type of stuff in the future, but not necessarily supportive of our specific prediction. Yep, uh, but there was also two other research articles, both out of University of California Riverside, that are additional points where. There is a potential risk of using productivity VR headsets in a professional setting. Uh, the first one was about uh, key logging using user hand motions and head motions. Basically, if you're typing on a virtual screen, your head might move in certain ways. And using artificial intelligence, they could then turn that back with somewhat reasonable certainty into exactly what you were typing on the keyboard. Um, and if we pause minute, there before the second yeah. one, we're not going to disclose what our new predictions are until a week or so from now. But uh, one of our new predictions might talk about metaverse-related, VR, AR-related things too. Just the, this, this is interesting on in how the additional data, like why is VR attacks a big deal? They're ultimately just computers like our computers, but they have additional data, whether that data be the user motion that they have to track just to work as VR headsets or the data they have about the sensors they get in order to track such VR motion. I think this one's very interesting because it's it's a way to key log that has more to do with the tracking of your hand, the, the controllers and your head. So it's different and new, you know, novel ways to key log. And it might, this might suggest where we're going in our future prediction for 2024. Yeah. 
Uh, the same team of researchers out of University of California also published another paper on side channel attacks against AR and VR, uh, where they found with 90% accuracy, they could interpret or recover hand gestures, voice commands, and keystrokes on virtual keyboards just based off of side channel attacks against these uh, systems as well, too. So, I mean, I, I think, Corey, if we had phrased this uh, as as we do for some other predictions where we say there will be like research discovered things or whatever, like I probably would have leaned toward, well, I would have leaned toward a hit. Absolutely. At that point, I think because we phrased it as a, there will be a big incident involving the metaverse or fueled by the yeah. metaverse or whatever. I'm still leaning towards a fail, even if there is plenty probably of research true. around there. I do but, think the very, I, I do think this is the type of prediction that will hit in one of these years. And honestly, while the the specific prediction wasn't hit, this this will be an ongoing trend, y'all. I as much as some people are skeptical about VR AR, uh, to me it's a matter of time, and the technology is getting there. And I think that means we're also going to have to be concerned about the new attack surface and the new attack avenues that uh, the extra sensors in these devices might offer. This is assuming that Meta's metaverse division doesn't just implode in the next couple of years uh after i, I think there's enough third parties now that are are doing it as well it is true i, I guess apple's coming out with their hundred thousand dollar headset as well too so and you're forgetting there's... all the chinese companies like pico and pimax and uh index valve is making another one still too there's enough people invested nintendo by the way, has a some patents that they it's the virtual boy it's probably back. going to be a crappy one where they'll just use like a switch like screen in a VR headset. But uh, uh, I think there has become enough interest. I can yeah. tell you normal consumers are doing it for VR fitness too now, like people that don't even know gaming and don't even own a computer are using the headsets for very niche applications like fitness only. Interesting. Well, maybe you're right. Maybe sometime in the future we will all get hacked as we are in the metaverse. It um, might be even worse. If uh, Musk gets us the brain-computer interface, our VR will be directly in our head. And then, uh, oh, wow, you lost your light. Someone just hacked your SCADA system, your, your uh, oh. home automation system. <laughs> Must have hit my little fancy new button I just put down here with my knee. Uh, there you go. <laughs> uh, that is actually, you, you spoke the boogeyman's name, and now he's hacking into my home. <laughs> but yeah, the, I, I think we can agree this one was a fail. In fact, before you sent your articles, it was a strong fail for me. Um, but I do think the theme actually is one to watch. So that I, I'm still only, I'm going to give us a fail. So that brings us back down to one and a half out of three now, a 50%, which is still, you know, about where we're typically at. My Let's see what we did on that grade, though. Uh, my parents be would be just happy be a, that a I'm fail trying. in my my house. It would be a fail still. <laughs> <laughs> Prediction number four. Uh, so this one was titled "MFA Adoption Fuels a Surge in Social Engineering," and this is boils down to MFA adoption is objectively growing. It's still not anywhere where it needs to be, especially in small and medium businesses. Um, but MFA adoption, even across consumer applications, has increased. We see banks and email and social media applications making it easy for users to adopt MFA just in general. And this has forced cyber threat actors to pivot 
and find other methods of circumventing multi-factor authentication in order to get into an account. It's no longer good enough just to send someone to a basic phishing page, steal their username and password, and then try and log in. Now they need to adopt other techniques like push bombing or adversary in the middle in order to get past that secondary token and gain access to that resource. And so our prediction was we expected to see, quote, many more MFA-targeted social engineering attacks in 2023. Uh, Corey, I'm curious, how did you grade us on this one? I actually gave us a win on this one. Um, Not for like one, not not for like one uh, empirically, you know, perfect stat that showed it from anybody, but based on just a lot of the incidents that happened. And I think you... You will have an example too for this, but I was thinking even back to just the very recent MGM casino hacks and how they involved so much social engineering. And by the way, you know, in all the podcasts we've talked about, these hacks are of organizations that at least had some MFA and the attackers did things like push bombing or SIM swapping to get past it. SIM swapping wouldn't count for this prediction because it's technical, but push bombing would. So I'm just thinking about some of the hacks that happened this year, the big one, successful breaches, where we know for a fact social engineering was the start of it. We know for a fact that there was MFA at a certain locations that was somehow or another bypassed. I, I gave us a, a, a pass, a win. Yeah. How about and you? We even we just talked about it on the last podcast with the FBI and CISA putting out that advisory on scattered spider, primarily around their use of social engineering to circumvent multi-factor authentication. But it even goes back to March of this year. Uh, we talked about a uh, an article from Microsoft where they discovered and discussed a massive adversary in the middle uh, phishing campaign targeting Microsoft users. And this was pretty big news back then because at the time, like we had seen adversary in the middle attacks, like evil proxy had been floating around for over a year at this point too. But this is one of the first big like publications of one of these targeted campaigns. And again, even just anecdotal evidence, like we at WatchGuard at the security team, uh, we get our employees do a fantastic job of reporting phishing messages that they see to us that manage to make their way into their inbox. And a large number of those those uh, phishing messages that we've reviewed recently have been some form of a adversary in the middle attack, uh, whether it be a link to one of these toolkits hosted on a website. Uh, more often than not, it's a HTML attachment to that email where you open it up, basically a self-contained web page that then can launch one of these uh, adversary in the middle attacks. Uh, threat actors are absolutely using these social engineering techniques in order to circumvent MFA because they have to. It is the only way to get into an account that is protected by MFA these days. Well, okay, maybe not the only way. You could go steal a session cookie, but one of the at least easier ways without a technical breach of some sort against that victim or the service they're using. Um, So I agree. I also give us a win on this one uh, because our criteria just back to that was many more MFA attacks. And I think we saw many more MFA attacks but there was an absolute increase in trend of attackers focusing on these types of techniques that us and others saw throughout the course of the year. Um, so, I mean, takeaways uh, for our listeners, MFA is still the single best thing that you can deploy to protect against authentication attacks or credential attacks. 
but it doesn't make you invulnerable to social engineering attacks. Uh, and so yeah, you and still I think need you to have should. some training around that. And your training, like we we always talk about training, but we do a lot of training. Like I think companies do a lot of training on normal spear phishing and stuff. Some of your training should be on phone calls to your organization, talking to people on the phone, text messages, things about uh, messages from IT saying, hey, I need to get a new token for you because of a problem. Well, is that person really from IT? So definitely train, look at how these social engineers, in this case, it's not always sphere phishing, it's other techniques to try to get your users to give up part of their MFA or you know something going on there. So train around that for sure. I think the other thing is monitoring authentication. Even if you have MFA, having some sort of anomaly detection, whether uh, you have an XDR product that can help monitor authentication, whether you have SIM or SOAR tools that can watch for it, but look for authentication anomalies because people can get M past MFA, so you can't always assume that authenticated real user is actually a real user. So at least try to find out to, how to catch these anomalous users when they do get your credentials and get past MFA with that sort of authentication monitoring. Yep. I do think it's also why CARTA continuous adaptive risk and threat. Anyways, long story short, a lot of authentication systems are looking at anomaly protection so that if a user who is authenticated, maybe even MFA'd in, suddenly does weird things, you ask them for more authentication factors just to triple check as they do weirder and weirder, more and more privileged things, having continual authentication points with additional new factors to make sure it not it's not an it's not a bad anomalous user. I like that your uh, your description of the CARTA acronym was actually it worked. Continuous, Continuous authentication risk threat. Anyways, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I said anyways for the last one, so <laughs> I got it right, even though it was the yeah. wrong word for it. <laughs> I I I. Filled out the full acronym, even if it wasn't the exact one. I think that's actually it. You're right. So. We, we should probably make it the real one. That's kind of what we think of acronyms. They always yeah. should end in anyways, whatever. Anyways, that does leave us at a two and a half out of four now, which is solidly above 60%. And a D minus is a passing grade. Dang it. So good for uh, us. So I'll far. take your word. My parents have grilled that in me that it's not. I uh, My parents tried. Bless their hearts. Um, moving on to prediction number five. This one was titled, A Novel Robo-Taxi Hack Will Result in a Dazed and Confused AI Car. So this was By the way, on the this one was one that had wording that it could be a researcher or a attack. It didn't have to be an attacker. And I think we even talked about how it didn't. It, it's going to be something, but it's not going to be like a death defy. It's not going to cause death. It could be just a silly hack. And to let so you know, this, uh, I've, I've changed my opinion of this one. <laughs> okay, good, because I was about to argue with you on this one after seeing your notes. Uh, but oh, I'll no, still find I, a way to argue I, with I found you anyway. something. So this one boiled down to the, the likes of companies like Cruise and Waymo uh, coming up with self-driving yep. cars that you can use as a Uber ride, basically. Uh, here in Austin, Texas, they were massively popular. Those things were literally everywhere. They're all over Vegas. Um, They're all over San Francisco pro and yep. apparently Beijing, China. Although I'll say they, they were past tense because Cruz has so far pulled off all of their cars off the road after they got into a hit and run uh, and kept going after running over a person. Uh, but 
this technology is at least being actively developed in various cities around the world. Uh, and we predicted uh, that in 2023, a security researcher or gray hat hacker could perpetrate a technical robo-taxi prank that causes one or such vehicles to get stuck, not knowing what to do, potentially holding up traffic. And I, I think you and I will probably agree. I we should grade this as a meh because of that technical word in there. But I'm going I to actually, argue that technical I, 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 is I more than just computer hacking. Uh, yeah, and so I agree with you there. Okay, like good. the example I found and will use, even like. To me, a technical attack includes the original one. We used an example of how a self-driving car, not necessarily a taxi, could be convinced to go out of a lane and be stuck in a circle simply by using ice rock salt to fake the middle line and to create a circle line around it. That is, the person doing that isn't doing any hacking uh, technically, but what I mean is they're not getting into the computer of the robo-taxi. But it's a technical hack because it's confusing the technical sensor, like the sensor that's paying attention to what it sh the car should be doing. Yes, they're doing a physical visual trick, but they're still tricking a technical sensor. So I don't know what example you're going to use, Mark, but the example I found, it's a very simple physical thing. But to me, I consider it a technical hack because they screwed up the technical sensors of the car into thinking a situation happened. Yeah, my original interpretation of technical was going to be a computer of some sort, but I. Am but I, I, I didn't intend that your... in this prediction because I always used the rock salt one as an example. Okay. So maybe cool. that's us being pedantic about this. My intention of this prediction would include external physical things that could confuse the car. In that and, case, and I consider let the that technical because yeah. I think that we got a hit. Did on we this find one. the same one? Yeah, I'm I, sure I definitely we did. found a hit. Was it a, a traffic cone? <laughs> yeah. So the story for this one starts in San Francisco, uh, where it was a TikTok video, actually, of a person walking out in front of a cruise or Waymo car, standing in front of it and slapping a parking cone onto its hood. And that was enough to put the car into shutdown mode. It would turn on its hazard lights. It was not able to move until someone removed the cone and in some cases had to reset the car entirely. And so this was like a spot on like prank prediction that caused it to get stuck, not knowing what to do. Like this is a win. And it's if so I remember the examples we used when we made it was just imagine in Vegas, some idiot is going to get his car to stop in the middle of nowhere really easily. And so to me, once I saw this video, it was an exact win because this is ex I, I kind of think while we didn't put a place, I assumed it would happen in Vegas first. But I guess San Francisco is a close second. Yep. So yeah, we're a hundred percent on the same thing. <laughs> and this is, I mean, it also like the title is a novel robo taxi hack, and this is absolutely novel. Slapping a parking well, cone yeah. on the hood. <laughs> and that's what I was thinking with the old rock salt one too. I mean, how novel is it that that you just think that the ice road salt done in a proper way could be the white line? So I at first, before I found this story, I was like, I don't remember anything happening from the year. So maybe we got too specific with this one and it's a fail. But as soon as I saw the road cone story, Mark, we 100% agree this is a, which I'm happy about because if I remember right, this was largely a prediction I made. So I'm this is a win now. And, and I thought it was hilarious. One, like, it is absolutely hilarious. And unfortunately, once it shows up on TikTok, everyone starts doing it literally everywhere, too. Um, 
But with, when it comes to like trends for this one, like my takeaway from this is like, first off, robo taxi, te- this type of technology is insanely impressive, in my opinion. Like the fact that we yeah, can get sure. into a car without a driver and it could take us from point A to point D- B for the most part. Um, now, there's some nuances with that. Like it's, it's not the fastest, you know, it can still get stuck, uh, but it's pretty dang impressive. But I don't think we're quite there with this technology, too. And there's still some pretty big issues that need to be solved. Like the fact you can shut it down with a parking cone is one big one. But there's I, I other agree. Too. I would say the technology is in its emphasis. Like we think about the fact that they've been doing this for 10 years. They've been building up into in my lifetime, in your lifetime. 10 years seems like a long time. And self-driving cars are infinitely better than when DARPA first did the project driving across deserts. So it's they've blown up so much in what they're capable to do. But this is like still the first week emphasis in as far as the the what's the word I'm looking for is, is, you know, the maturity of the technology. So even though they're technically capable of driving pretty darn well compared to before, there are so many freaking weaknesses in it. It's so new that there's so many pro we don't know the amount of unknowns of the problems they still have, which is so I agree with your concept that it's amazing what they can do, but it's so early that the risk is really high, in my opinion, still. Because there's even still some just fundamental like usability problems that need to be solved. Like imagine a future where everyone's in these cars, you know, going to the bar, drinking, and then getting a ride home in a Waymo or whatever. And imagine there's a like a crash somewhere on the highway. And so the police are telling everyone, okay, you need to do a U-turn, drive the wrong way down the highway, take the on-ramp as an off-ramp in order to get off here while we clean this up. How the heck do you tell a car without a driver to do that? Or imagine yeah. you're in a busy city like uh, Seattle without or Without the Austin. infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you're in a busy city like Seattle or something, and there's a traffic jam because there's an accident. And you need to back up your car eight inches to let the fire truck through. How do you tell well, the self-driving car to back up to do that? Let, like, let's add to it. And I think it was part of the story we were showing on the screen a second ago. Besides the road cones, part of the traffic jam situations are when they uh, got into cellular congested areas. Imagine you're driving a car and you happen to pass the stadium that's having a playoff game that has 100,000 people in it on cellular networks and your car loses 5G. That that's how they literally these Waymos have gotten into places where there's enough cell phone usage that they are. I mean, they're cloud based. Their sensors are connecting to AIs and external computing to work. So they, you know, not only imagine having to redirect them, but what if the cellular network was also overly consumed because everyone was in that traffic jam with the redirection happening? They've lost the communication they need to to even move. So the, what I think is crazy is we're talking about, we're not even talking about the technical part where nerds try to ha- gain technical communication to the car and do real hacking. We're just talking about problems that could happen organically with it, like a cone being put in the wrong place, blocking a sensor. So it, to me, it kind of just illustrates the emphasis. Until these very 101 problems are solved, Hackers aren't even going to bother doing the things where they try to break into the SIM card of the card and gain direct access to it. That will happen too. That had just happened five years ago because we have all these basic problems that have to be solved first. Yep. So I, I do think the future is probably in self-driving cars, but it's going to take a 
a bit of more time to get there, I think. And until then, I bet this parking cone on the hood is not the last prank we will see targeting oh, no, these cars. Be more. It'd be fun. Uh, especially now that that one, quote unquote, went viral. So just I'm think sure of all the, the way Lime bicycles and scooters were abused when they were first put to the public. All that's going to happen with self-driving taxis. Uh, the good news on that front, though, is it's a little more difficult to pick up a self-driving taxi and, and throw, throw it, it to Elliot May. <laughs> yeah, <So>. Exactly. <laughs> Although... Uh, is there a way you can get it to drive itself into Elliott Bay by maybe directing? Oh my God. <laughs> that okay, would no, be, I'm never that's getting into one. be a fun hack. <laughs> anyway, so that gives us a three and a half out of five, which is a 70%. No reason, we're doing decent suddenly. Man, we are over It all rides that's on this than my one. grades in high school. Um, <laughs> moving on to the, uh, the last prediction, though. This one was titled AI Coding Tools Introduce Basic Vulnerabilities to new developers' projects. And so around the time we were making these predictions is when GitHub's Copilot came out of beta and went into public use. If you're not familiar with it, it's an AI-assisted coding plugin for VS Code that can help suggest actual working code samples based off of the name of the function that you put in or even just a short little comment around it. They're extremely powerful tools that can make it so you don't need to know how to program specific things. As long as you follow a similar naming convention within your source code or prompt it correctly with a comment, it can spit out functional working code for you. That was one of the first ones. AWS has Code Whisperer now as well, too. And they've really started to take off through other uh, more niche products as well. Our prediction boiled down to a, uh, a new or I think we called them green developer being over reliant on these tools and just taking everything they spit out word for word and pasting it in and not understanding potential vulnerabilities they might introduce. And we predicted that they would release a app that had a critical vulnerability introduced by this AI code. We'd seen some research before this into how these vulnerabilities could exist. There was a popular talk at Black Hat and DEF CON in 2022, this would have been, uh, where they showed how even just changing the name of the author in the source code was enough to potentially introduce more vulnerable code samples versus non-vulnerable samples. Um, because at the end of the day, it's trained on the, collect the collection of public source code repos out there, uh, and which includes a lot of vulnerable code too. Um, Just uh, but, this is old. If if you're on our YouTube version of the podcast, I'm showing an article. This this does not contribute to our prediction being right because it's from 2021. But just an example <laughs> of what Mark is saying, where there were research projects done where they found that 40% of code produced by Copilot was vulnerable to threats. Again, as Mark, you know, they, good data in, good data out, bad data in, bad data out. So as Mark said, if it's using existing programming from humans to create code of its own, uh, if there's vulnerabilities there, it will spit out vulnerable code too. So just yeah. an example of some of the articles we use to feed this particular prediction, even if this one doesn't drive the 2023 so, one. And for this prediction, uh, I gave us a... So if I gave us a meh and a half earlier, I'd give us like a half a meh on this one. And that I think that the trend is there. We're absolutely seeing more research around vulnerabilities introduced by Copilot, more, um, more usage of it across the board, which could open up to that vulnerable code making it. But we didn't see like a big like vulnerability in a popular or even unpopular app that was introduced because of 
Copilot or uh, Code Whisperer or whatever. What are your thoughts, Corey? I'm with you. I gave you a meh too. To me, this is kind of like the insurer one, like uh, what I'm showing now if you're on our YouTube is everyone is talking about this. Everyone knows the potential risks to these tools and how they can show up in insecure codes, you know, code suggestions, secrets leakage, like if the, the generative coding AI happens to use a repo that has secrets in it, that stuff could leak through. So I think everyone knows about this. I think it's probably happening. Like I, my gut is the prediction might've happened. Someone might've created an app with Copilot's existence that has, with Copilot's help that has vulnerabilities. We just didn't get a big story of, uh, and that app was abused and it turned out it was Copilot. So it's kind of like our security one. And I, I think there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that we're going the right way, but there's nothing solid that really allows us to claim the win on this one. But I think I'll that, take like, a the half trend a quarter is, point if you give it to us, though. <laughs> I think it's worthy of a half a point. And I think the trend is absolutely there, though. And I think that like these AI assisted coding tools like Copilot and Code Whisperer are absolutely the future of software development. Like the cat is out of the bag and oh, they for are sure. a force multiplier for software engineers. Can absolutely. I actually even say of the AI risk we talk about, I actually think coding tools is the lower one. And this is because of a talk I did from the guy that's uh, part of DOD. He's like their AI expert. And when he warns about genitive AI, He's more scared of natural language models just doing human answers and convincing humans that their answer is actually correct when it's not correct, just because humans aren't used to someone being able to speak intelligently, but not actually have intelligence. <laughs> he says that the coding tool, like it's much easier to, if you're trying to solve the problem of generative AI messing up or introducing vulnerabilities or not, Coding is something that you know right away if the AI worked or not because a program either runs or doesn't run. And then for the vulnerabilities, a program can run and still have problems in it. But as far as vulnerabilities, there's all kinds of automated testing that can root that crap out. So in his opinion, one of the best usages of AI is automated coding. And some of the security problems we have from it can be solved just by having AI and tools programmatically go through regression tests of the code they spit out, make sure the code runs, go through regression tests, and curate some of the data that we're feeding the, the models so that they don't have vulnerable code. And so I think you're right that AI coding is out of the bag, and it's going to be a great use of AI. But it's also one where I actually think it has hope of curing the, the security issues that could happen with it today. I'm not saying those security issues don't exist, but I think they will actually have coding tools that don't have those issues pretty quickly because it's a it's a solvable problem. I'm more worried about the the, the human acting AI. I'm more worried about some of the soft vulnerabilities and the social engineering and the, the fact that humans are stupid apes, <laughs> include myself, that think that if someone's talking very smart, he's probably saying, he or she is probably saying correct things. But we know a lot of the time, the natural language models, the large language models are very, eloquently telling us bullcrap. <laughs>
And I think even beyond like strictly writing software too, like AI and software development is a absolute perfect use case too for even fixing existing vulnerabilities. Like we saw yeah, at yeah. DEF CON this year, or was it DEF CON or Black Hat where they had, yeah, DEF CON where they announced the, uh, the new DARPA AI cyber challenge. Um, we're at DEF CON for the next two years. They'll be having a AI powered challenge to find vulnerabilities in open source applications. And that is a fantastic use for artificial intelligence Absolutely. to help fill the gap where with open source specifically, there is a complete lack of resources in some cases to find and address some of these issues. And if we can just throw an AI model at it and have it take care of it for us, that is great. Yeah. So, so despite our prediction and even being half right, I actually think there that this will become one of the most common AI usages that works well in the f near future compared to yep. others. So final Meanwhile, it still will get fingers and teeth wrong in images, though. <laughs> Correct, yes. And yeah, exactly. Uh, final score, though, four out of six. You know, a 66%, that's right on the border of D to D+, plus, which is technically passing. Uh, for uh, predictions, that's a, probably a decent grade. It's not it's our best, ones but it's not our worst. Years. I'm yeah. actually surprised because some of these predictions were very, very niche and... and I guess you could argue general, but I think there were little pieces of them that made them specific enough that we were making it hard on ourselves. So uh, granted, how often do the people that took the test grade their own test? So <laughs> what do you guys think if you disagree or if you found evidence that makes our prediction hit even more, we would love to hear from you. Let us know and on that at hashtag the 443. The 443 podcast. Uh, we yeah. One of our upcoming episodes, either the next week or the week after, we will introduce our new security predictions for 2024. And we would also love to hear what your predictions are as well. And so please yeah. do share that with us, either through Twitter, where we may never see it, or use your OSINT skills and find Corey's and my email addresses and shoot it to us that way. And we'll absolutely save some time to chat about them on that podcast when we uh, record it. But... Man, I can't believe it's already just about December and we're already chatting about predictions for next year. This is nuts. Uh, this year definitely went way too quickly, which, you know what? I'm not going to complain about that because a few recent years have felt like they went way too slow. I won't say why because I don't want to lose more listeners to politics, but I hoped 2024 goes even quicker. It can maybe it will. <laughs> uh, I'll tell you whether or not 2025 can slow down. It depends on 2024. But I am not looking forward to January through November of 2024 right now. So let's hope it goes you fast. You and me both, sir. <laughs> Again, thanks everyone for listening. As always, if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. If you have any questions on today's episode, suggestions for future episode topics, or if you just want to Tell Corey and I how you're feeling. You can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at XORRO underscore. Corey's at SecAdept. And the both of us are at hashtag the443podcast. Again, if you have any predictions for the next episode too, please either hashtag them at us or email them. Uh, thanks again for listening. And you will hear from us next week.